Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice for chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label, and for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. We had a great crafty on girls. Honestly, I was so young on Mad Men and I was so nervous to be on that set that I probably didn't eat anything. <laughs> I don't remember. It was like it was like I'd show up for work and I'd black out and then I'd wake up back at home. You're listening to the Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, I welcome in Zasha Mamet. Zasha is an actor and writer known for her memorable roles on Mad Men, The Flight Attendant, and Girls. How could we forget Shoshana and Girls? As well as editing the great new collection of short stories, My First Popsicle, an anthology of food and feelings. In this episode, we talk about which show has the best craft service, aka crafty, in the business, and what it was like pulling together all these stories from such a cool list of collaborators, including Ted Danson, Tony Hale, and Ruth Reuschel. I couldn't put this book down and really credit to Zasha for pulling together such an original cast of characters. I hope you dig this conversation. Zasha Mamet, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is really cool to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of your acting. I, I loved your role in Mad Men. Honestly, terrific. Just such a great role. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, but really, we're here to talk about your uh, the, the collection of essays, My First Popsicle. And collections are so difficult. And, and, you know, kind of getting everyone to kind of match the vibe and getting everyone to do the right word count. You, this is terrific. Such a good book. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy you like it. Um, I want to find out first, you know, the book covers, um, it's like struggles and realness. It's not just beautiful tomatoes and French markets. I mean, it really has um, a theme of discovery, a theme of heartbreak. Um, so what was the process like reaching out to all, all of the, all the authors and co collaborators? Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of, I feel a little bit like, I don't know, unfair saying this, but it was it was kind of seamless. Um, I, I put together this list of, I think there was a list of like 75 people. Cause I knew that there would be some people that would say no, but then I went out to my top 50. Um, and that's basically the people that were in the book. And it was a whole smattering of people I knew really well, people I'd maybe known when I was a child or had crossed paths with working like a friend of a friend, someone I didn't know at all. Um, and short of like someone having going to have, or having just had a baby, um, or like writing their own book or shooting in some crazy foreign land, pretty much everybody said yes. Yeah. Well, it's a compelling topic. What was that prompt email like? What were you asking? Because I feel like that was really important to get everyone on the same page. What did you ask them? So it's funny that you mentioned word count because 
I, I wouldn't give anyone a word count, um, which some people like didn't even realize. And um, the like authors by trade who wrote for the book, like essentially begged me for one. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty amusing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I really wanted this book to be as varied as possible in every way, shape and form. You know, I wanted the contributors. I wanted the within the confines of the subject matter, the subject matters, the vibes of the essays. So I tried to make the prompt as loose as I could. And I kind of was like, okay, mm -hmm. food and feelings, like, ah, go. That's, that's not even loose. See, that's smart because when you say food and feelings, that's not like, you're not saying like childhood memory. You're saying feelings, yeah. which I love. Um, I feel, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no, I, but I wanted, I didn't want to lead anyone in any particular way, like down a certain avenue. Cause I feel like those two topics can be so tiny and they can be so macro at the same time. You know, it's like, they can kind of mean anything to anybody, but then the, the things that they mean to each individual person are so specific. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So like Ted, Ted Danson, for example, everyone knows Ted Danson. And he wrote this essay that I feel is it really touched me. It was about to summarize about um, a, a scene when he was in high school and how he went to a boarding school out east. He was from the Plains. Um, I'm summarizing. And he encountered a racist student body, um, specifically racist against Native Americans. And he had a friend who was also who was a Native American chief, ended up being a Hopi chief. And just like the empathy that he showed in that essay, I just feel like, and it really amazing bit of writing. That essay really floored me. And it was interesting because um, Ted is a, is a family friend. He's been a friend of my dad's for many years. And I have known him a bit throughout my life. Um, and I just think he's an incredible artist and storyteller. And I, cold emailed him asking to write for this book. And his response was, um, I don't really think that I'm a writer. And I just <laughs> had this like, you know, I really didn't push people, but it, mm -hmm. there were a few instances where I was like, but please. And he was one of them. And I, I wrote him back and I was like, I just don't believe that. And I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, and so he made me promise. He was like, if it's bad, you have to promise not to put it in the book. And I was like, I promise, oh but gosh. that's not going to be the case. And, uh, he wrote the first draft that he sent me. He was like, I haven't totally, I feel like there's like a few paragraphs missing to sort of like put this all together, but it was basically that like essentially what is in the book is what he first sent me in an email. And I, I wrote him back like weeping. And I was like, Ted, mm -hmm. never again can you say that you are not a writer. <laughs> this is exquisite. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And, and I feel, so you did some line editing, you would, you would kick back some feedback and, and really serve as the book's editor. What would you go back and forth multiple times? With some of the, some of the contributors? Um, with a couple people, but again, it was, um, you know, I had my wonderful editor, um, at Penguin, Meg Letter, who's incredible. Um, and she sort of was like mm, editing my editing. 
Um, sure. But it was interesting. I would say the hardest thing about this book was deadlines and, yeah. um, hmm. you know, learning that most writers think that deadlines are suggestions. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was like that. And if there were documents that needed to be signed, like just, you know, the 17,000 emails being like, please, for the love of everything, just sign it and send it back to me. Uh, oh my gosh. But other than that, like the actual creative process was, it was just so fun and everybody was a joy to work with. And um, there weren't a ton of edits. Like there were, mm -hmm. I would say the main editing that happened was like asking for more, you know, people would write yeah. these pieces that I just wanted more like to Tony Hales, which is very short I love already. It. It's so great. But he wrote like two sentences and I was like, look, I know I said no word count, but like, it's just so great. Will you write a little bit more? <laughs> yeah. So Tony Hale writes about chain restaurants versus fancy restaurants. And he writes this really great line, Tony Hale, a veep and many great comedic actor. The chains brownie Sunday demolishes the hipster mini tart with a dollop of foam. Man, hard agree. Why don't we talk about chain restaurants, desserts, how you want quantity over quality sometimes? Like it's a very astute observation. It's so true. Like I was remembering, um, I'm forgetting the name of the restaurant. I feel like it was called like BJ's or something. Growing up in LA, there was this restaurant that had this thing called the Pazuki. Mm. And it was a pizza cookie. So they made a, a chocolate chip cookie in like a full pizza dish. And they would just put ice cream and <laughs> um, whipped cream on top of it. I mean, you know, sign me up. As like a tiny child, we'd go and we'd get a pizookie. And like, I didn't want something fancy. I just wanted a pizza-sized no. cookie. Absolutely. I think just chain restaurants, they do it enough that they just know how a brownie, brownie sundae should They're taste. They're just like versus, science. Yeah. It's a science. It is. Now, David Sedaris poses the question in his essay, where are all the Jell-O artisans? Now, I have to disagree there are some jello artisans but the point is taken jello does not get enough respect yeah i mean i think he he really points that out although i did look up the jello artist the the jello cake artist that you yeah those are stunning i mean they're yeah. gorgeous yeah, Nunchi, uh, she's based in LA actually. Yeah, you know, ring her up for a, for a cake. I mean, Nunchi is amazing. Eat Nunchi at eat Nunchi, uh, Nunchi. She's amazing. So yeah, I had to I had to shout her out. I mean, I think but, it's like so I think that Jello gets a bad rap, and it's funny because like yeah. I'm definitely more of like a chocolate person. My husband is yeah. the gummy candy person, so I feel like it's sort of like what camp are you in? <laughs> yeah, but I feel like Jello just like. Yeah, Jello gets a bad rap. So I don't know. Bring Jello back. Yeah. And especially with Sedaris in his way, kind of just the story talks about hot dogs, Jello, and then it devolves into something totally different, which is pure Sedaris. Um, you know, Ruth Reuschel writes something that I feel it's like, is this a ghost story that involves honey cake, a broken Model T, and never eating honey again? I'm trying to figure it out. It's incredible. I mean, that story 
certainly left me unsettled in that like fantastic way. That's something that's like a little bit off does. Um, when Ruth Reichel said yes to writing a piece for this book, I was just mm-hmm. like, I was like, we don't even need to publish it. Like I'm good. I was like, I had Ruth <laughs> and David and Patty Smith. And I was like, I'm can yeah. die now. Um, but come for me with apples is one of my favorite books of all time. And I, I was just so excited to see what she was going to write about. And that essay, it, it like, it messed me up. <laughs> yeah. No, it messed me up too. And I, I, I got a Ruth spin on the show and I, I consider her a colleague and she's really, uh, I have questions, Ruth. I definitely have questions. <laughs> <laughs> you should read it. Uh, Stephanie Dandler. Now I, I like Stephanie Dandler's writing a lot and I've, I've met her once. Um, I feel like, when she writes about not cooking, she's hitting upon something that's really universal. And it's a really cool memoir style personal essay that she writes. It's yeah. Steph's essay is, I mean, I just, I love her writing so, so much. I think it's so, so beautiful. I think she has a truly singular voice. Um, And she's actually one of the people that inspired me to feel like, I I could write. Um, and again, I was so excited to see what she was going to write about. And I feel like she really encapsulated, she captured the, the like ethos of really what I was going for with this book, which is like, it's not necessarily about the food. It's all of like the ornaments that we hang on top of it because of the circumstances surrounding that particular dish. Mm-hmm. and like how she captures that idea of loneliness and like what true depression means when you're going through a period of time where it's like something something in you goes dormant you know like it may not be dead but it definitely is it's hibernating until it feels safe to wake up again yeah really well said I, I highly recommend checking out that essay and it's it makes me think about like kitchens that aren't cooked from because the way she paints the photo the picture of this this dormant kitchen in this group home essentially a shared home she lives in it's great nice yeah um so you close the book and this is a a, a jew myself who loves christmas you, you write up as a jew loving christmas how you love christmas but you love plum pudding so i have to ask what are your plum pudding plans this christmas time so you know, I haven't had plum pudding since my grandmother passed away now yeah. a decade ago. Um, I, my older sister has attempted to make it. I have not tried her attempts. Mm. I have not attempted to make it. I think we could, for so many reasons. It's like, you know, I, I ate it every year of my life for so many years. Um so it's not necessarily that I'm like worried it won't taste as good, um, but it's just sort of this like mythic thing. And I feel like, yeah, I don't know, I kind of have to let it. Also, it takes about two months to make. So it's a real. Right. You're a little behind yeah. schedule. There, that's a good you know? point. <laughs> and then yeah. also if you biff it, it's not like, oh, OK, well, just whip another one up. You're like, I've no. been working on this for two months. <laughs> I know it's. Honestly, I I like that that dish, but I, I won't attempt a fruitcake, a panettone. I feel like Christmas pastries are to be left for the 
the, the non-Jews. Just going to say it's just it. It's very complicated. <laughs> you know, like They're too complicated, a pie, yeah. a pumpkin bread. I yeah. can I can do those. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can mess around. So, so you know, Zasha, tell me about growing up in L.A. Um, what was what was food like in your house? I mean, you you probably with your dad uh, and his friends and your your family friends, you had some cool people rolling through, um, interesting people, interesting people in the food world. What was that like? Um, my mom didn't really cook growing up. Um, yeah. So it's funny. I actually didn't learn to cook until. I met my husband, who's an amazing cook. Um, but I I always loved baking growing up. So that was sort of like, that was kind of my jam. Um, yeah. My dad always says um, he could ruin toast, which is like pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> Not his, he's he, other, other specialties. Other, like other specialties other, other in cooking. Um, yeah. My, my mom is an amazing cook. I don't, you know, I'm like, where was this when we were, when we we were little, but, um, she's an amazing cook and an amazing baker. Um, but, um, and my stepmom is like lights out, like epic, epic cook. There's like a specific chicken dish with prunes and stuff that she makes. That's just like, Mm. it's out of control. Um, but yeah, we didn't have like. I definitely was exposed to a lot of different foods growing up, which I feel very fortunate. You know, our rule growing up was like, you have to try it once before you say you don't like it. Yeah, fair rule. Good rule. Good, good for a good parents. Rule. So I had like a pretty yeah. eclectic taste and like there was a lot available to us growing up in Los Angeles. So like, you know, I wasn't just like a berries and banana kid. Like I love to star yeah. fruit. I love to kumquat, you know? Yeah. Um and I've never been, it's funny. I look at like my, um, my diet now and I'm like, I feel like I eat more like a toddler now than I did when I was a <laughs> child. I get those days as well. Sometimes you're just like, what have I done today? I feel like a ch- yeah, a child. Yeah, but that's like, it's just like most days. <laughs> okay, most you're days. in the most days. Most days All right, well, world. I get it. It's like this a, a, a PB&J, pretty much always a Honey Nut Cheerio. All right. Speaking of this, I, I have a not a bone to pick, but I have a, a question. Let's talk about this. Are you you're a fan of of baked lays? It seems like. Oh, I love a baked lay. Oh my goodness, I I I find baked lays. It's like I I find it to be extremely difficult to fig- like to understand what's going on there. It's, can you? I don't want you to defend. It's you don't have to, but why do you like baked lays? So. My mom was a health nut growing up, so we. Yep there wasn't junk food in the house. Like we didn't have like potato chips were not a thing. Yeah. I don't even know if we had chips in general growing up. Um, but like hearkening back to the toddler of it all, love a chip, love a chip yeah. in this house, <laughs> huge chip fan. But I think it's also like, so I think when you grow up without junk food, you sort of go one of two routes. So my older sister, like my mom used to get calls from her friend's mother's being like, we found your daughter passed out in our pantry covered in like every cereal (laughs) box that we own in a sugar coma. So my older sister is just like showers and junk food. Um, And I feel like I kind of like slowly dipped my toe in. I was a little more cautious with it. Um, 
And I don't know if it's because I don't know what I'm missing, but like, I just, I don't know. I had a baked lay once and I was like, these are delicious and I love them, but you're not alone. I was actually, I was in the airport the other day and I was buying snacks for the plane and mm. this lady walked up and she was like, where are the potato chips? Oh my and gosh. I was like, oh, they're wow. actually like on the other side of that kiosk, there's popcorn and baked lays. And she was like, I said potato chips. And I was wow. like, okay, okay. I think she she kind of said what I was thinking, just going like, to be honest. Respect, but, you lady. Know. You know what? Yeah, respect you. But I, I understand. I grew up in a household where we had a lot of snack wells. Oh, so you know, many sure, snack wells. Oh, my God. Snack wells <laughs> yeah. give me PTSD. I know. It, the green box, I, I, I agree. I get, I'm get. i very traumatized by the green box. Um, the, the devil's food, whatever that is. Ooh, tough, Ooh. tough hang. Tough <laughs> hang, man. Also, I'm afraid I haven't had a snack well in so long, but I'm like, if I looked at the box today, I think I'd be like, holy McGee, what, what do they put in this shit? Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a question. This is off, uh, off the, off the list I sent you, but did you watch Irva Vep? Did you watch that HBO Max show? What's it called? Oh, you, oh Irva no, Vep? I haven't watched it yet. It's okay. So this leads to my next question. So craft service. Now I, your role on, on Mad Men, super memorable. Wish there was more of you girls, obviously big, big, big moment for you as an actor. Let's talk about craft service. So Irva Vep, it's a, it's based on a French production movie within a movie. They have like the most killer craft service like it's like cappuccinos all day so what's what's craft service like on a mad men or on a girls like are you getting what you want or are you getting like snack wells type of so stuff? we had a great crafty on girls honestly i don't i was so young on mad men and i was so nervous to be on that set that yeah. i probably didn't eat anything when we, i don't remember <laughs> it was like it was like i'd show up for work and i'd black out and then i'd wake up back at home um, oh my gosh. We had a great so crafty great. young girls, great crafty young girls. Um, also like you do a show for six years, you have like yeah. the same caterer, the same crafty. Eventually they start to learn like the things that you like and they have your favorite yeah. stuff and they have a secret stash for you. Um, but one year we, I think it was like season four or something, we were sharing the stage with um, the Michael J. Fox show was shooting right next door to us. Mm -hmm. It was our first oh, wow. week on set. And um, I went back to where they'd set up our crafty behind the stages. And I was like, oh my God, we have upped our game this year. And there was a full <laughs> wall of, um, you know, those like cereal dispensers that are, they're, they're like oh. vertical and then they have, Oh yeah, you pull the handle. Yes. And there was literally, I think there were like 25 cereals. It was, and oh. I just I started going down the line and like getting a little <laughs> bit of each cereal. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the best year ever. And this PA came up to me and was like, excuse me, do you work on the Michael J. Fox show? And I was like, oh no, I'm on girls. <laughs> and he was like, that's not your crafty. And so we had to spend an entire season shooting next to their crafty, which was hands down the best crafty I've ever seen. Oh, just like, yeah, they would bring out these platters of like, I don't even know what, but they were always beautiful and you just wanted to eat them. And it was so much better than our crafty and they wouldn't share. And oh my gosh. It was the worst thing that's ever I happened to me. 
Yeah, I feel like Michael J. Fox show being known for the craft services is probably more than the show was known for. So I, I feel like this is a great anecdote. It, it, you know, <laughs> love- it, it was it was a tough season, but we got through it. Yeah, we got through it. <laughs> now, um, back on a Mad Men, you, you didn't eat anything. I like I don't remember. I this is like it. I'm marinating on this right now. This is like this is before you shoot. Yeah. Do you have food rituals at all? Like I feel you got to be in the game, right? So is there a food ritual? I mean, it totally depends. It depends on what you're shooting. It depends on the yeah. hour of day. Like, you know, you kind of learn the hard way, the things that create your rituals, which are like, if you have to shoot a scene where you're running, like maybe don't eat a burrito <laughs> at lunch. <laughs> um, if you, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, there's wardrobe-ish situations, I'm sure. You don't want to eat um, I did, um, on Dickinson, I I remember my first day on set, I was asking Anna Baryshnikov, who's a friend, I was like, so talk to me about this corset situation. Like, very <laughs> uncomfortable. Do you get used to it? She was like, no, not really. I was like, okay, cool. Um, yeah. What's the deal, like, with eating in it? She was like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> it's terrible. So like I swear you take one bite of something and there's just like nowhere for it to go. And oh, I was no. like, that can't be, you're at, you're exaggerating. <laughs> and um, our first turnaround, everybody was like, want to go get a snack? And I was like, yeah, totally. I'm starving. And I literally put like two nuts into my mouth and I was like, oh my God. Oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> She's like, I told you it's really bad. Yeah. It must have, I mean, it must have made the performance a little bit realer if you can't, can't breathe and only can eat yeah, nuts. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we don't, I don't miss, I'm happy I didn't grow up in a time where yeah. corsets are. Yeah, it makes you, it makes you really appreciate your, your current wardrobe. Okay. Now, have you watched The Bear at all? Are you, are you on the bear hive? I mean, that show. That yeah. show is. Right. Incredible. So good. I mean, you have a Chicago. I mean, did you go to Chicago growing up at all? I didn't really spend a lot of time there. Um, you know, my dad lived in. Um, he moved to New York before I was born, and then Massachusetts and then yeah. L.A. Um, so, yeah. and he doesn't really go back. So, I sadly haven't spent. My husband. Oh man. More time there than I have. He worked with um, Joe Swanberg on a, his TV show Easy. So he's gotten yeah. to spend a lot of time in Chicago enjoying the food and um, without me. <laughs> yeah, too, I'm sorry. Yeah, Chicago is a great food town. Now, do you, speaking of that, do you think Shoshana would have dated a line cook? Like, I feel like that's it would have it was, something would have happened. Like the line cook is is definitely part of the zeitgeist now. If if girls was being filmed now, I mean, would she date a line cook now? Probably yeah, now, yeah. probably like, you know, line cooks are like. I mean, I think the bear is a good indication that, like, that <laughs> uh, that life is bananas. Um, yeah. And she, I think, was, like, a, kind of a bit of a pinball when she was younger and would have just gone with whatever mm-hmm. seemed, like, shiny and, like, paid attention to yeah. her. But I think, I think down deep she was on the hunt for stability. Which I don't, Truths. I don't think is necessarily what the life of a line cook offers. You filmed a lot in Japan in the last season, right? Yeah, we were there. We shot two episodes there. Um, we were there for a little over two weeks. Great, ep- great, great episodes. Memorable in the show. Did you remember any food from there? Like, I mean, being shooting in Japan must have been really fun. It was. 
Fun is a, is not it's not ah. it was you know I mean it was fun it was just uh, <laughs> nothing's fun I, I get it I get no, it it was incredible it was incredible and amazing yeah. but it was it was perhaps the hardest I've worked in my entire career because we shot you know we had to shoot all of my stuff from two episodes in two weeks and it was um, yeah it was crazy I mean basically we got there we had I think like half a day and then started shooting at 6 a.m the first day and like and yeah. I had one day off the entire time we were there yeah um, and jet lag is crushing. and it was the yeah I think it was like 105 most days over 100 with like 100 percent humidity um <laughs> and it was just crazy you know we were moving from we were constantly moving locations you know, we'd shoot like three locations in a day. It was truly incredible. And Jesse Pretz, who directed both episodes, is like one of my favorite humans and directors mm. of all time. And it was, from a work standpoint, it was it was one of the highlights of my yeah. creative career. But it was really insane hard. amount of work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zasha, I love my first Popsicle. I think it is a terrific collection. I, I'm going to highly recommend it and, and link to it in the notes. We ask all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, speaking a deadline, or budget, meaning you have all the money in the world, what would that book be? Oh, my God. I mean, it's such a lame answer to say that, like, I just want to keep writing these books. <laughs> so, hey, I mean, volume two, bring it. Bring I it. Just, no, um, for real. I don't know. I feel like it, it was... Um, it's funny. I was thinking, I was noodling on, haha, food pun. I was noodling on that, Hi, it's that good. <laughs> question and thinking about like what I would do. I was like, you know, I'm obsessed with the peanut butter and jelly. And I was like, I'd travel the world asking people how they made their peanut butter and jellies. But it's funny because all the things I was thinking of were just kind of like sub sections of this bigger question to me. You know, it was like food of your childhood or your favorite I don't even know. And um, it just felt like editing this book felt like an embarrassment of riches. I was like, I get to ask people that I love and admire to write about this topic that I find endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And I just get to read their writing and like put it together in a package. And if I could just keep doing that, I'm like, I mean, that's been yeah. incredible. Sasha Mamet, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Bianca Cruz, welcome back to the Taste Podcast. It's good to be back. So this is the third installment, I hope, of many of your culinary school journey. The first two episodes, we talked about topics of like some exams. We talked about what is like just getting your first day and getting all your gear. Um, I think we last left off. You were about to take your final exam. Yeah. How'd it go? It went great. It was a lot of work. Um, it consisted of three different parts. It was a little lengthy. And the first part being a cumulative exam. So everything that we learned wow. uh, in the months, the nine months that we were in school, were tested. We were tested on, and it was 
a little overwhelming, but they didn't give us any like niche questions like, oh, how to make this like obscure sauce or something like that. It was more so like what temperature is chicken ready at, mm. stuff like that, stuff that you should know. Like kind of food safety, make sure you can actually safely be a chef. Yes, exactly. Things that you sh- really should know before you go out in the field. <laughs> right. Uh, and if you fail that, it's like, why are you here? But yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, and then it consisted of two more days, uh, one day being a fish day and the second being a chicken day. Mm. And both days you had to create Obviously, a dish with that protein, and two vegetable sides, a sauce, and a um, a starch. Excuse me. And the first day, I was more so Italian inspired mm. with my fish. So you had to fillet an entire flounder, mm. show it to the chef. Chef says, "Okay, you're good to go." You take two of those fillets, you make something with it. I was inspired. Actually, I took an entire recipe from Italian American. Yeah. Um, the cookbook. cookbook. Yeah. And it was like this delicious, like. Uh, it had sesame seeds and it was like so crispy and flaky. So oh it was God. a flounder you filleted yes. and you were, you were basically for the exam given the opportunity to just show some skills. Yeah. And we were only allotted a specific amount of ingredients. Mm. Um, and they basically just brought in a bunch of ingredients from the kit, from the refrigerator and the supply room and said, here, go buck wild. You can't take anything else from um, yeah. the supply room though. So we were pretty limited. Otherwise I would have made something Puerto Rican expo- inspired, mm-hmm. but there wasn't anything Puerto Rican in those baskets. Yep, so yep, yep. I went more so Italian. Um, I made for the starch some Gaccio e Pepe Polenta, um, which was inspired by Carla Lolly Music's, uh, and that sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I used the polenta recipe in that book. And then I made some lemony broccoli rub, some Yum. garlicky mushrooms, and I made a pomodoro sauce. So it came out fantastic. I was really happy. Were you like doing more than your 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 fellow students? So this is actually really interesting. I don't think I was. I think I I was just trying to make something that tasted really good and that looked really good. But I think my colleagues were a little bit more focused on some like gastronomy aspects to Mm -hmm. cooking. I have no interest in fine dining. It's just not my thing. Uh, I know Anthony Bourdain said he's like, I also am not interested in fine dining. And yeah. I just so related to that. Yeah. So I kind of stayed away from that. I just wanted, like I said, I wanted to make something that tastes good. Um, I grew up in a household that didn't, that ate like Red Lobster. Yeah. You know what I mean? I grew up TGI Fridays, yeah. stuff like that. Shout out TGI Fridays, yes. for real. Me I too. love it. And even the Sizzler. Oh, and yeah. People, I feel like I haven't been to a Sizzler in probably 20 years. I haven't years. ever been, but Riblets at TGI Fridays, I remember going there, you know, once in a while as a kid. That was great. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the food I'm familiar with. So that's what I kind of want to embody when I cook to this day. I just obviously want to use really great ingredients and yeah. make it taste as best as possible. But fine dining just isn't my thing. So a lot of my colleagues were kind of focused more so on fine dining aspects, but I just was like, let's just make a delicious meal, and I'll be happy with that. And and so, what's what's the result? Like, what was your score? I don't remember the exact. It was in the nineties, though. Okay. Both both you passed. I passed with flying colors. With flying colors. Wonderful. Okay. (laughs) So you passed culinary school. You did you graduate? Did you have a ceremony? We are going to have a ceremony. I think it's in the summer of next year. So they have one big ceremony for everyone that graduated. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So you see everybody in their like chef garb. It's going to be fun. That's really fun. Um, And that's also when we get our awards and stuff. So I haven't. I don't even know if I got one, but. Uh, we'll see. I would, I don't know who voted for me. It was kind of like one of those things where your class votes for like the best of this and the best mm. of that. So I have no idea. I'm going to say you got an award. I hope I got an award. <laughs> we'll have you back and we'll talk about the award ceremony and you getting a bunch of awards. Now, I know, I just know you and I know how you work. Sounds like you got a really good thing in culinary school. So before we get to the externship, I want to hear just in general, are you, are you happy you did culinary school? You the actual education part of it. Oh, I'm unbelievably happy not only as a home cook now 
But just the skills that I've garnered through culinary yeah. school and um, now at Potter, I've gotten the chance to dabble in some editing, and it's been so incredibly helpful. And I just I have these like flashbacks, like that's where even like, or, or actually she looks in the future. I look mm. in the past, or <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, oh my god, I remember doing that in, in culinary school yeah. and something is off here and it's it just been such a useful skill to have um, and it's priceless to me. I know I paid tuition but at the end of the day what I took away from that education to me is completely priceless. So just my day-to-day life I'm just like oh my god I know exactly like if you just tell me to make something I can just kind of like mm-hmm. figure out. My mom actually called me last night and she said Bianca I don't have any barbecue sauce. How do I make barbecue sauce? And I just walked her through it. Yeah. It, was, it was crazy. I was like do you have tomato sauce? I was like, do you have vinegar? And, you That's know, it. do you have brown sugar? Sugar, yeah, brown sugar. And she was like, oh, my God, I have all those things. And she actually texted me a picture of the ribs she made. She's like, I'm never buying barbecue sauce again. Yeah, homemade. Homemade like, is listen, better. Definitely. So you're getting this life skill. You're getting this professional skill because you edit cookbooks. Like, that's your job. Mm-hmm. But then you now are in an in- externship mode, and you get to see a restaurant like no other person gets to see a restaurant, which is meaning you work at the restaurant. You see all the good and bad of it. Tell us about the externship. How did you get it? Where did you end up? What are you doing? So I looked into a couple different restaurants. I was really into Gage Gage and Tolner, Don Angie, and I also looked into Missy Robbins restaurants. And I ended up getting um, an externship at Lilia. Um, They were really great because it also accommodated my 9 to 5. Yeah. And not only that, it it also accommodated my shellfish allergy. So I didn't have to work around anything savory. So I actually ended up working in pastry. Mm -hmm. And in culinary school, pastry is such a small portion of what you learn. Uh, And working in pastry at Lilia was such a a phenomenal thing because I got to really know even more so about pastry and how that works. Um, And it was – I mean I still am there currently and it is – Perfect. It's like a perfect restaurant to work at right out of culinary school because it's everything that you learned um, from how to label things yeah. and what tools you use and stuff like that. And nothing to me felt unfamiliar about the restaurant environment. So take me through what it's like to work as an extern at Lilia. You work here in the office from 9 to 5, and then you have to leave and go right to your job. What are the hours like? How much are you working there? So I work on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I usually work from around 4 p.m. to around 12.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very long shift, and it's a lot of multitasking because not only am I making uh, desserts to order, I'm also trying to balance out prepping for the morning pastry shift. So that consists of making uh, fresh focaccia. Uh, I I have to make cake batter. I have to make uh, our gelato bases because our gelato is fantastic. Oh, my God. I just that's I got to get to the gelato at Lilia, like how it it works. Yes. I'll I'll let let you know the little secret. Um, And uh, I have to prep the pie dough. I have to cut up some fruit for whatever our crostatas are. You know, that time of the year, it was in the summer, it was strawberries and blueberries. Right now we're in the apples phase. I kind of want to beg the chef to go to cranberries. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm obsessed with cranberries, but I don't know if he'd ever want to do that. Um, Chef Payson, who also is like the kindest person. I was so afraid that I was going to get a chef that was mean and stuff like that. But thankfully Payson is actually very patient. He's very nice. He's very soft-spoken. But he knows his stuff. It's great to hear. I mean, Missy really leads by example, and it's clear uh, she's uh, an empathetic person, a good person, and her staff is that way. So that's good to hear. It's a very familial staff for sure. Like, I feel like I've, whenever I walk in there, I feel like I'm just kind of working with my friends. And that's such a phenomenal thing to feel because 
you never want to be in a workplace where you don't like the people you work with. And Lilia yeah. just fosters such a great familial That's cool. You know, now, would like you have a, you have a gig here in book publishing? Could you envision yourself working full time pastry? I I would so much rather cut off a toe than yeah. <laughs> than continue what do you mean? It's it's just not your vibe working <laughs> at a restaurant. I mean, it's is so it, grueling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Tell not easy. Even if you work at like you know, Lily is like I said, a great restaurant to work at. And it's just so much hard work. It's and the only I guess like the balance between it is that like when I'm at Potter, there's deadlines to me. Nothing is ever really done. There's always something to do. Versus when you work at a restaurant, you finish your shift, service is over, <laughs> you clean up, you go home. You don't yeah. have to think about it twice. Uh, so that's I guess like the balance between it. But like there's no room for rest at a restaurant. Never, no. never, never. You also never know how many um, how many covers you're gonna get that day. So you could get, you know, 300 covers one day, but then there could be 100, you know, the yeah. next day. So I'm going to guess you know, not a Lilia, though. No, Lilia's always packed. Yeah. It's always, always filled to capacity. Yeah. I've never seen an empty table in there. So it's actually, it's funny. I actually served Dua Lipa oh. just, a, just on Sunday. Damn. So I was like, oh, my God, Dua Lipa's here. I was wow. so, and also an actor did you drop from some Session. gelato? I did. She got the Italian job, and I can oh. tell you what it is. Yes, yes, It yes. is uh, our vanilla gelato with this delicious uh, finishing olive oil. Yes. Um, some honey, some fennel pollen, and a little bit of flaky salt. The Italian job, I have to say, so many things going right there. Of course, you've got the the pollen and the and the crunch. You've got this amazing olive oil. But to me, my question for you is, how the heck do you get the consistency and the temperature of the gelato so perfect when you drop it tableside at a very hot and very busy restaurant? I've had that gelato so many times, and it's perfect every time. Credit to you. How do you do that? It's so hard, actually, yeah. in, especially in the summer. Yeah, no you doubt. You have to race yes. to get that gelato on the table. R- literally it's race. it's pretty close to like ready when you drop it, right? Yes. Or Yes. Like when you get it at the past. Yeah, so pulling gelato is actually the hardest thing that I've had to learn. You have to get the, like that perfect swirl. Yeah. And um, it took me about like 50 tries to get it right. It was not easy. And it looks really easy. I was yeah. like, ah, I could do that. That's no problem. It was the, like the hardest thing yeah. ever. So eventually I was able to to get that perfect and I can just pull it and get that on like get that out to the to the customer in like 30 seconds. Yeah. But it, it's still I mean, you have to really race against the clock. And there are times where I have to repull it because it's either like it's already melting yeah. or I wasn't able to get a server to come in fast enough to take it. It's 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 very. Do finicky. you run yourself then? You, you I don't run it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to call for somebody to yeah. come get it. Bianca, let's go into this balance, balancing both. So mm-hmm. you're working on the weekends. You're working during the week. Now, how do you feel mentally? Like that seems like it's a very challenging thing to do both jobs. It is. I. I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I look forward to the days that I have completely off. Um, I look forward to the vacation I have at the end of the year yeah. that um, Penguin Random House gives us, which is so great. Um, but I, I use a lot of my nighttime to just unwind and just do my thing, whether that be, you know, I also cook a lot more for myself now. Um, now that I'm not in culinary school, I guess it, the, the fatigue is not 100% there. But I just like, I, I, I cook a really good dinner for myself. I put on my law and order. Yeah. I eat a seasonal fruit, and I'm <laughs> just so happy. Like that, that's just what I look forward to at the end of the day. Is just that some something simple in life. I don't try to overcomplicate things. I'll invite a friend over. We'll watch a show. We'll have drinks. We'll talk gossip, stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. So I just kind of look forward to the simple things in life, and it just makes everything so much easier. And just having the support of my family and my friends mm-hmm. has been just astronomical like it, it's just i can't even put 
of value on the support that my family's given I, me throughout this. It's really, really cool to hear you say that. Yeah. Now, I was going to ask you about cooking at home now, now that you've gone through the paces of culinary school. I mean, what are you making? I mean, is there is there something you learned from school? You're like, man, I'm going to make that a lot now because it's good. Yeah, I guess steak. Yeah. I made a good steak last night. It was Nice. What cut? Uh, sirloin. Nice. It was actually, I was actually really impressed. I was like, I haven't made a steak in a while. Hopefully I still have it. And I, my mom had bought a couple of steaks that were on sale, and they're in my freezer right now. So I've been like, kind of on a steak kick. So sirloin, do you? How do you season it ahead of time before you're actually putting it on the grill? I don't. Pan? I don't really season it too far ahead of time. Yeah. I usually season it right before I put it on the grill. Right. But just some salt and some pepper. Yep, Nothing yep, yep. complicated. It, I think the sauce is really where the Ooh. steak will thrive. So you can make so many like chimichurri. Last night mm-hmm. I made uh, just a regular gravy. Yeah. And I was happy. I seasoned it with a little MSG. Hey man, no need to no need to whisper on this podcast. We, we go full we go full throated MSG here. I we, love MSG. It's the best. I mean, we wrote about a food IQ. It's it's written about on taste. It is it's necessary. It is necessary. It, it it just I was like, salt is not gonna. It, it doesn't get the job done all the time. MSG no. gets the job done. Well, you cut it with kosher. Like yes, you cut. Like that's I do. The thing. You have to cut. There's a ratio there, and I think it's. I'm not. Don't quote me. It's like five to one salt to MSG. Maybe ten to one. Yeah. God, that's probably way off. But something like that. I yeah. sprinkle it in, and I was like, okay, this tastes really good. Yeah. I need some salt, and um, that's what I did with my gravy last night. Yep. Uh, and I just made some mashed potatoes on the side, and I was nice. a happy gal and ate a pomegranate. I had a Negroni. Yeah. Happy, happy gal. Sounds great. I love that combination. I mean, m- potatoes and, and steak and a Negroni. I mean, that's classic American steakhouse right there. Yeah, and it's in my own kitchen, which is yeah. so tiny. I probably have like a <laughs> a five by two kitchen. It is a tiny kitchen. Oh, so um, it's been a challenge, but I, I make it work. So at Lilia, are you doing anything um, savory at all, or is it all pastry? Uh, I I make breads that are savory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the focaccia that we make is savory, and it's a little seasonal. So right now we're on our leek focaccia. Cool. Um, in the summer we were on our tomato, which is my favorite because it was kind of like a pizza. It, it tasted like pizza, and I, I miss it a lot. But it's not tomato season, so not yet. it is leek season. I'm happy yep. that we have the leeks. I think it's, it is delicious, but I do. I, I always miss tomato season. So let me ask you, how long are you going to be doing this externship? Is there is there a period of time? Are you there for for a while? I I mean, I hope I, I don't have to be there for a while. I actually did already finish the hours. So I'm kind of just there because I want to be there right. um, at this point. And I would, I would kind of like just to get a little bit more experience in the kitchen before I end up moving on. Because uh, a lot of people, they'll work there for the amount of time they have to do. And then they'll just leave and then I'll think about it again. Um, but it's always, I mean, I'm, I'm always learning something new. Like I just learned we have our olive oil cake and we have these like, really thinly sliced persimmons and I have to like twirl it into a flower and it was something I've never done before but I learned so quickly and my flowers look so beautiful even the chef says so himself and that was a skill I didn't have before even like plating I was so bad at plating um in culinary school there's I feel like plating is kind of one of those things you have to have an eye for it. Absolutely. There's an aesthetic choice. I mean, it is. You decide if you want negative space, if you want maximal, if you yeah. want to do the stripe of it's hard. sauce. Yeah. It's I, so hard. I play that game at home after making it. I'm like, I'm going to do a play. And it, just, it really is not good. <laughs> it's so difficult. It's the pros, man. The but professionals. You learn a little bit more. You get inspiration from when you work at a restaurant. You're like, oh, that's an interesting you know, type of plating I've never seen before. And you just kind of channel that. So I was really happy with, um, with how much better my plating skills yeah. are, you know, versus when I was in culinary school, for sure. So you're 
eventually gonna you know wean out of uh, wean yourself out of Lilia. Do you have a second externship, or do you kind of just like end now and like you get your degree? What, like what's next? My degree's already in the mail. Yeah, so, so you, it's you're done. you're graduated. You got a degree, so you're I'm done. You're a graduate of culinary school. So yes. so the externship is more like enrichment, and then mm-hmm. um, are you gonna do more stages and 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 uh, externships, or are you just like nah? I I would love to maybe kind of do like a pop up kind of a thing not not Whoa. specifically with only my food here like, we go all right <laughs> let's talk about it i i mean i guess it's in the distant future but i i would love to do something along the lines of a, you know catering for something or cool. kind of just being a you know private chef for an event or something like that i would still love to put those skills to use in some type of way That's um cool. you know being invited to a kitchen just to learn something it doesn't matter to me. I, I will never not be in the kitchen. Like, I always have to, to be doing something with that degree. You know, I don't want to just be – and that's not a bad thing to just be at home editing, you know, a cookbook. Um, but I just think, you know, there's always something to learn. And I think, you know, being a little bit more hands-on is, is a way to learn. I mean, also just working with your authors mm-hmm. and just r- cooking through your authors' uh, you know, recipes. Yeah. I mean, I do that, like – Literally every day I, I mean, look at a recipe. <laughs> are you working on anything specifically right now that you can talk about? Um, I actually did uh, help edit uh, two books uh, currently. Um, I helped Jen sit a bit with Molly Baz's next cookbook. And nice. I also uh, assisted with uh, Michael Simon's next cookbook. So those are two books that I I really do love. I think they're yeah. phenomenal. And those are great authors. I love both. Of, yeah, both the authors are awesome. So just being able to go and kind of be within, you know, the editing the editing process of it of it all is. I mean, they're two drastically different authors, yeah. so they needed two drastically different approaches. Right. But um, you know, there's some acquisitions that I'm really proud of, and one of them being uh, Justine Snacks, and. Yes. What a kind person. Like, I, I have nothing. What's that all about? I'm sorry. I'm not familiar. Justine Snacks? Yes. We just acquired her book maybe a month ago. Yeah. Um, and she has a huge following on both Instagram and TikTok. Cool. And we're so, so, so excited about her. Like, she, she's just, like I said, she's a really kind person. She's very inventive. And she's so fun and personable. And, um, she, like, I, I, I do occasionally, like, we have our little messages on Instagram and stuff. Fun. And she That's lis- what you want with your author. She yeah. listens to this podcast. Oh, so. cool. Hey, what's up? Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, Justine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, she, she's such a great author, and I was so, so happy to have um, been part of her acquisition process. And I actually had emailed Justine about a year earlier. Nice. And I said, right. Are you ever, have you ever been interested in publishing a cookbook? And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I am. And she, and she eventually got agented, and mm-hmm. we saw the proposal, like I said, about a year later. And she remembered that. And yeah. I think to an extent it influenced her decision to come yeah. to Potter because she was like, you know, these these editors saw me, uh, you know, they believed in me much earlier than, you know, some of these other imprints who have never heard of me up until now. Yeah. And we were just so happy when she picked us because she had a variety of other imprints to pick from. I mean, she's lucky to have you as an yeah. editor. So, I mean, honestly, it's mutual. And I'm really happy to hear about your story. And we will absolutely have you back. I think there's a lot more to talk about as you edit and you cook and reflect in culinary school. Bianca Cruz, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much. I can't wait to come back. Like, it's going to be great. Yes. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.